Now, we looked last week at the first part of, of what we said were four normal expectations. Four normal expectations that God has for every believer here in Colossians chapter 2. And we kind of said these are the standard. These are, these are what we want to place before us in 2012, especially as it relates to, to what's going on in our country and the important decisions that are going to be made. And in light of the kind of volatile state of the world right now, which seems to kind of be getting more and more volatile. And then in response to the, the spiritual subjectivism and, and, and relativism and pluralism of our culture, we're in a very similar situation to what the Colossian church was facing. And you remember we said last week that Paul, in this book, more than any other that he writes, brings it back to Christ. He says, Christ is all we need. And as the Spirit speaks to us through His Word, we get to these two verses in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and these are the ideal. This is what the Spirit says, here's how you respond. Here, believer, is how you're supposed to live if you are going to become spiritually mature and you're going to have a strong influence on the world. This is what it's going to take. Now, you remember it started with that first phrase in verse 7, actually verse 6, where we were reminded, verse 6, that having received Christ, we're to fulfill our calling by walking in Him. And then we got to that first part of verse 7, where it says, we do this by continuing to be rooted in the firm soil of God's Word. One of the most important priorities that you and I can have this week, just to recap, is that we continue every day to go deeper. Deeper into God's Word, deeper into our faith, deeper into... Uh, an ongoing uh, dedication to hold our convictions without wavering, not being worried about what people think, not being influenced by what culture tells us to believe, not being worried about uh, that we might lose a friend if we really stand for the Lord. doesn't matter. Our first priority is to stand for the Lord. So we have to go deeper in terms of our conviction. And that's a fight against spiritual shallowness. I hope none of us gets to the end of this year and can look at our lives and say, I'm still shallow in the Lord. I still have not gone deeper with the Lord. I'm still the same as I was before. Second phrase was that we're called to be built up in Christ. Now, once the deep roots dig in, then we move on into progressive spiritual maturation. Not only to be strengthened in our own faith, but as we saw at the end of the study, so that we can encourage strength and strengthen one another. When you come to this church, I don't want you to just come in, sit, worship, listen, and go, and never have not only fellowship, but the interaction of other people that want to encourage you and strengthen you. And I never want you to come into this church and not encourage and strengthen somebody else. If you need prayer, we'll pray for you. If we need prayer, we want you to pray for us. It's a, it's a combination together as a body of building one another up. So, so don't ever come to this church and stay isolated because you're part of the body. And as part of the body, verse 7 says that we're supposed to build each other up in Christ. Now that has application all throughout our lives, to our marriages, to our families, to our parenting, to our relationships, to our workplace, to our church. Our job is to be Biblically mature believers who have a steadfast faith in Christ, who continue to love each other 
and strengthen each other. And listen, if we do that, that will be more cutting edge and more revolutionary than anything the Christian church has offered in the last 20 years. If you are a mature believer who loves the Word of God and who goes deeper in the Word of God and who has a strong faith and who strengthens and loves other people, you will be doing something that the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians are not doing. And because the vast majority of people that are Christians are not doing that, the church has looked for alternatives of how we can deal with that by changing and adapting ministry. And that's a bad trend. I don't know about you, I'll say it again. I want to be a nonconformist. Not out of pride, not out of a desire to call attention to ourselves, but because to be a biblical Christian is to be a nonconformist. So we need to be nonconformists. We need to set a standard for ourselves and for other believers. Now, those two standards, just as we recapped, those, those are very attainable. Because they just require a commitment in our part to, to focus on Christ and His Word. But as we get into the latter half of verse 7, it gets a little bit more challenging, a little more difficult, because now it gets personal. Now the Spirit says there's going to be a, a sacrifice that's required on your part to become more selfless. Let's see what it says. Just start in verse 6. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted, we got that. Now being built up in Him, we got that. Now the last two. Established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Now the third word here, the third principle, is that the Greeks, uh, the, the Spirit says to us, you need to be established. The Greek word meaning is to make sure. The concept is that once the roots go down into the soil and once the tree is built up and starts to grow, that being established means that we are solid, that we are secure, that we are strong. Nothing able to undermine what we believe. Nothing able to sway us in time of difficulty. No infection with some kind of spiritual disease that, that gets into the roots. That, that there is nothing that can affect us because we are established in Christ. We are sure. We are certain. We are firm. We are strong. We are solid. Now with each month that we age as believers, each month as we move forward, that should describe us. The Holy Spirit does the work of watering. He's the one that, that, uh, that pours over us to give us increase. But as He does that with His teaching and His guidance and His blessing, now we're called to continue to yield to Him and continue to grow in our faith so that we will not only be built up, but that we'll be strengthened. Now as you look back over the last 12 months, as you think back, and we've kind of already forgotten about 2011 because now it's 2012, even though I'm still writing 11 on my checks. Uh, we, we, we now are into 2012, and it's already, you know, coming up on middle of January, and we're starting to think spring because the weather's nice. And, 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 you know, we're kind of moving forward. Took down the Christmas lights, took down the Christmas tree, boxed up, we're done with that. Right? We move quickly now. We don't linger anymore. So we're already thinking, well, past 12 months, that's past. I'm into a new year. But I want you to think about the last 12 months in terms of your faith, 
in terms of your holiness, in terms of your love for the Lord. What happened? A lot of times at the start of the year, newspapers or, or online news sources will, will do a year in review. What were the biggest events? What were the most spectacular quotes? What were the, what were the great plays? What were the top ten plays? What were the top ten celebrity blow-ups? Like, I care about celebrities blowing up, right? But they'll, they'll review it. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, as we come into the new year, we really should look back and do a personal and spiritual year in review. What were the highlights of the last year? Spiritually, what were the the trials? What did the Lord teach you? What was the lesson? If you had to capsulize, what was the one lesson you learned from the Lord last year? How did He stir you? How did He change you? What fresh calling did He put on your life? When you look back, can you see examples of how He led you and how He challenged you and how He sustained you? What did you learn about His character and about His sufficiency and about His faithfulness? Are you more spiritually mature now? Are you more wise? Are you more full of faith than you were a year ago today? Are your relationships better? Is your marriage stronger? Are, are you more connected to your kids? Is there a greater love there? Are you more integrated into the body of Christ? Have you found a place to serve? Are you using the gifts that God gave you that you, that you weren't last year? How have you stretched yourself? All those questions that come out that we analyze what has God done and what have we learned? Because it's far too easy to forget. That was the Israelites' problem. They just kept forgetting. Or it's far too easy to kind of passively dismiss, well, yeah, God stirred my heart back in April and He was doing something in my life, but I got so busy and I kind of forgot about it and it doesn't seem like He's doing that anymore, so maybe I'd have just kind of forget about it. No, every year, every month, even every day, the Lord is impressing something on our lives. And it falls into three categories. And I want you to write these down just so you remember that God in this year is going to do something in your life. And as you look back on last year, you can filter it through these three things. Every year, every month, possibly even every day, God wants to tell three things. First of all, He challenges us on something that needs to change. Something that needs to change. Is there anything in your life this morning that is in direct opposition to God's holiness and God's word? We really should have no expectation of God's blessing or God's approval or God's help if we're living in a way that contradicts his instruction. We should not expect God's favor if we're living in a way that causes him sorrow. Now, every one of us has impediments. Every one of us has sins. Every one of us has things that prevent us from being fully established. But the question is, are we purposely allowing that? Are we not letting it go because it's too comfortable or too fun for us? Now, it may be something as obvious as lying or adultery or some kind of overt sin. Or it may be something as subtle and deceptive as pride and lack of faith. But whatever it is, it's hindering us from being like Christ. And God wants to change it. God does not allow us to just be stagnant. How many know that's true? God doesn't want you tomorrow 
to look the same you did today. And if there's things that he looks at in your life that he says, that is not pleasing to me, that is contrary to my word, you know it and I know it, and my spirit's convicting you about it, and you're not doing anything about it. If there's something like that, then we better get on our knees and confess it and repent of it, because God is going to force change. And I've always said, it's much easier for us to initiate that process than for him to get involved. Because once he gets involved, he is going to deal with it very, very firmly. What is it in your life? I don't need to know. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to stand up and confess before the church. Because you and the Lord know. What is it? What's hindering you from walking with Christ? Second, there will be something that we need to trust him for. In fact, there will be multiple things. There's always something that we need to trust Him for. And every year brings significant change to our lives, but it's not just the major things in our life. It's not just the brain tumors that, that require faith. Because we know how to respond to that. Kristen and Joe know how to respond to that as believers. They know that they're going to have to fall on their knees and depend on the Lord in new ways. And the church is going to do that. And we're going to do that. They, they know that. The greater challenge is trusting the Lord every single day for every single thing. Listen, you got a major trial in 2012. I would hope as a strong, mature believer, you know, that means I've got to pray more. That means I've got to trust God more. But what about the day-to-day? What about the everyday things that our ego and the enemy combine to say and to try to persuade us? Look, God doesn't care about that little junk. You can take care of that. When you have a crisis, then go to the Lord. But but you don't need to trust Him for the little junk. Come on. God's busy. Don't you think He's got billions of people to deal with? You don't need to do that. And our ego says, you're right. I can handle this. Look, I'm tired of, I'm tired of always being dependent on the Lord. I'll just handle it myself. The problem is, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 doesn't give us that option. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And never lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. There are a lot of definitive words in those verses, and they remind us that there is no other option, hear this this morning, than to trust the Lord. There is no other option. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not partial, not in the crisis, not the big things, but in everything. It is never to your advantage, is never to my advantage to, to try to figure it out on our, on our own. We need to actively be praying that God will refine us and change us and stretch us so that we will have the mind of Christ. So there's always a need for personal change. There's always a need to trust Him more fully. Third, there's going to be something that He's calling us to. In this new year, for every single person in this room, there is a fresh calling that God wants to put on your life, on my life, and on this church. Whether it's related to prayer, whether it's related to ministry, whether it's related to evangelism, whether it's related to obedience, I don't know. Faith, whatever. There is a calling that God wants to put in our lives. So my question is, how has God been stirring you and preparing you in the last year? Maybe you're absolutely aware. I've seen it, Paul. I've seen how God is preparing me. He stirred my heart 
and I've started to discern that this is the direction he's moving me in or moving our family in or moving our ministry in or moving our church in and I'm ready, I'm willing. Or maybe for some of us, we won't discern that to June, July, August, September. Who knows? But make no mistake, God will put a calling on our lives this year. And that's why we need to be seeking him individually and together with renewed fervency that God would direct our paths. It's why we keep talking about prayer meeting and about this first prayer meeting Wednesday night. It's why we are going to make some changes to the time and format of prayer meeting so we place a priority on calling on the name of the Lord. There was something Pastor Symbolist said in that video clip that stuck with me. He said, we got to the place where we said, we've got to pray. Not, uh, I better pray because I'm a Christian and I'm told I got to pray, so I better pray. Uh Uh-uh. We've got to pray. We've got to get on our faces before the Lord and we say, Lord, move in our lives. Lord, move in our church. Lord, stir our hearts. Lord, heal our sicknesses. Lord, protect our marriages. Lord, protect our kids. Keep them from the influence of culture. Lord, show us your leading. Lord, show us your will for this church. Lord, show us the people that we need to minister to and share the gospel. Lord, reveal it to us. We've got to call on Him. And if you still can't get that, if you're still not feeling that, I'm telling you, go get one of those books and read it. Because all of a sudden, your heart will get awakened and you'll say, we've got to pray. I would love for our prayer meeting to be the most important service that we have because we as a church are saying, we've got to pray. We got a crisis, we've got to pray. Somebody's sick, we've got to pray. We got a problem in marriage, we better pray. Because we're going to enter into the presence of the Lord and ask Him for His help. Look back at verse 5 and how it relates to this. Paul says, I've heard about your discipline and your stable faith, and it causes me to rejoice. Imagine how the Lord feels about it. Several times, many times actually, in the life of Christ, as we look at it in the Gospels, we see Jesus meet people who had extraordinary faith. And it stood out because the religious leaders were so corrupt and so lacking in faith. And because the Jewish nation as a whole, the Bible tells us, really just did not want to trust in him. So every once in a while, Jesus walking along, he he meets somebody that he stops and his mouth kind of drops open a little bit, even though he's God. And he says, I'm amazed by your faith. And scripture reveals it. Jesus marveled over their faith, or he was amazed at their faith. Jesus is impressed by faith. He's not impressed by your name. He's not impressed by righteousness. He's not impressed by wisdom. He's not impressed by wealth. He is amazed by trust. Why does the devil attack faith so much? Because he knows how powerful it is. Why does he try to erode your faith in Christ? Because he knows that a believer that trusts in the Lord is a believer that's powerful. Why do our hearts resist trust? Why do we think that our effort and trying harder will be enough, even though that's a dead end? Why does God keep giving us situations that that cause our faith to have to grow? Because He loves faith. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. I believe He's pleased when He sees us fulfill that verse in our lives 
when our faith has a stability to it, because that's the concept of verse 7 that's being established in our faith. Remember, Jesus said, if you have faith like a child, I am pleased. When Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, a mustard seed is so tiny that if I held one up this morning, you wouldn't even be able to see it. He said, if your faith is just like a little tiny mustard seed, like a little speck, you can say to a mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. So imagine what steadfast, stable, confident faith means to the Lord when He sees it in us. What kind of power does that mean we could have? See, the word in the Greek here for established, it means fortified, firm, and steadfast. And the example that's given is like a line in an army that establishes itself against the enemy and stands steadfast against attack. You ever seen some of those old Civil War movies where they just walk up and it's a line of troops, almost arm in arm, walking. And they've all got their bayonets and their rifles and the enemy's right there and they stand there and you think, what, are they crazy? What kind of courage did that require to walk up and know that as soon as somebody lifts their gun and shoots, a whole line of people is going to drown. And yet, this is the kind of faith that we're to have individually, as a family, as a church. Steadfast. You say, well, the enemy's going to shoot us. Uh-uh. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Yeah, we're going to get hit. Yeah, there are going to be times of trial. Yeah, we're going to get hurt. But we're to stand steadfast. It's time for every one of us to move on to maturity, to depend on the Lord more completely, to stop clinging to the past, to stop clinging to our old nature, to, to put that behind us, to learn to be content in all things, to stop complaining and being self-centered, and just to trust Him, even though we can't see it. But God wants us to be established in our faith. It's time for us to have a new emphasis on prayer so that we will have a stable, steady faith and confidence in the Lord. And if we don't know how to do that, then come Wednesday night and we'll pray like the disciples did. Lord, increase our faith. And if you say, Paul, this morning, my faith is weak and I don't know how to pray, then I'm going to invite you come Wednesday night and we will surround you and lay hands on you and pray that God will increase your faith. But whatever you do, don't back down. Do not back down. Be ready for what it's going to take to trust the Lord because He will never lead us incorrectly. He will never turn and run and say, Believer, you're on your own. He will always stand with us. Look at the last thought in verse 7. I need to finish. Look at the Lord's fourth expectation. Having been firmly rooted, okay, being built up in Him and established in your faith, okay, okay, just as you were instructed, look at the last phrase, and overflowing with gratitude. The evidence of the health and strength of a mature tree is that it evidences its fruit. And here the Spirit says, in the life of a believer, that fruit should be overflowing. Not with good works, 
not with saying the right things, not with going to church, but with gratitude. The ultimate motivation for everything we do as believers, from trusting to praising, to praying, to serving, to witnessing, to obeying, is that we are so thankful that God has delivered us from sin and adopted us as His own and filled us with His Spirit that we can't help but be grateful. The only logical response for what God has done is gratitude. Thankfulness, look back at the verse one more time, is the result of the first three. And it should be overflowing in our lives. Now what does that mean? It means that we can't be dying to self daily and walking by faith and still be discontented. And you say, why is that so, Paul? Well, because if you're rooted and you're built up and you're established, then you will be overflowing with gratitude. And when you're overflowing with gratitude, you are right in the center of God's will. And when you're right in the center of God's will, no matter what your circumstances may be, you cannot be dissatisfied. Being in the center of God's will sometimes is difficult and challenging and face-stretching, but it is never a time where we say, well, God, that stinks. No, if you are doing what God wants you to do, you can't help but be grateful and joyful and satisfied, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Notice how the Spirit links faith and thanksgiving. He says you can't have faith without gratitude, and you can't have gratitude without faith. You can't be full of faith and be angry and irritable and miserable and depressed. It's impossible. You can't be full of faith and be pessimistic and dissatisfied and constantly disillusioned. It's impossible. The Bible never says, Christian, have a heavy negative spirit. It never says, Christian, be depressed because you're living in the middle of God's will but it's hard, and, and that's and that's discomforting to you. So so go ahead and be unhappy. Scripture says, "I've learned in whatever circumstances to be content in all things." See, lack of gratitude saps your faith, and it steals your joy. And instead, we are commanded in Scripture, not suggested, commanded in everything. Give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God. In other words, if you're not thankful, you're out of the will of God. Wow, that, that doesn't feel good, does it? We may not believe it. We may be too stubborn to admit it. We may just know it and don't care. But I'm telling you this morning, if we are not grateful to the Lord, we are out of His will. And don't think it doesn't matter how we carry ourselves either because our demeanor means everything to those who are watching us, to those who are looking for a reason for our faith, to those who are saying, all right, that, that Rhodes guy, he's at Harbor Rock Tabernacle. What, what's his attitude? What's his demeanor? What, what, what's the story on him? Does he really believe what he says? Is he mature? He's supposed to be mature in the Lord. So how does he live? How does he carry himself? How, what's his faith like? Is he only content when it's good for him, but not when it's not? 
Joy and contentment only comes from not living for self. That's why faith, look at it, it's right in the middle of verse 7, and we're going to pray. That's why faith is the keystone here. It's remembering God's past blessing and goodness and faithfulness so we can be confident going forward. That's part of the reason why God kept giving feasts to them. Remember what I've done. It's why He gave them the ark and said, carry the ark around the desert. Because I want you to remember my power. It's why He gave them the 12 rocks that we talked about in November. And He said, anytime your kids ask, you tell them what happened. Remember what I've done so you can trust Me in the future. Remembering is a purposeful decision. Do you know that the root word for thanksgiving is the word think? In other words, when we think about what God's done, there's that old song, when I think about the Lord, how He saved me. You know that song? When I think about what He's done, oh, what does it do? It makes me want to shout. Makes me want to praise God. Makes me want to say, oh Lord, I'm so grateful to You when I just remember what You've done. Our praise to Him and our appreciation to Him, look at it one more time, should be pouring out, overflowing, as the Spirit fills us and as we're grateful for what God's done It has to pour out of our lives. Our mouths, our actions, our faith. Let's close our eyes. And I want just for a moment the truth to challenge us, for the Spirit to confront us. And let me ask you just a very simple question. Are you overflowing with gratitude? That will determine whether you're established and steady in your faith. It will influence whether you're deeply rooted and growing. You and I, as believers, we just celebrated the table of the Lord. You and I cannot walk by faith and live unhappy, defeated lives. So what's your mindset this morning? How are you carrying yourself? The Spirit has given us four standards, four expectations that God has. And He's calling us to live in a very different way in this new year. Not necessarily that we've been living wrong, but that He wants something even more. As you've received Christ, so walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted, now continually be rooted, be built up, be established in your faith and overflowing with gratitude. Are you living that way this morning? And if you're not, what is preventing you? What are you holding on to so tightly that is preventing that from happening? I'm not going to ask people to raise hands. I'm not going to call people the Lord. This is between you and the Lord. doesn't matter that I know or don't know between you and the Lord right now, if there's something that's holding you back, something that is preventing this, something that you're clinging to, that's hindering you from overflowing with gratitude and being established in your faith, I I, want to encourage you strongly. I want to exhort you. Confess that to the Lord. Take that to the Lord and say, Lord, cleanse me of that. I don't want to hold on to it anymore. It is robbing me of joy and it's robbing me of faith. 
Father, you're giving us a fresh calling in this year as believers and as a church. And Lord, we don't know what that means. We don't know how you're going to lead. We don't know the trials we face and the victories that we'll experience. But we do know that we can trust you. So Lord, we put ourselves on the line this morning and say whatever your will, whatever you desire, Lord, we will do it. We will be faithful. We'll continue to root and dig in and be built up and encourage each other and be firm so that we can overflow with gratitude. Lord, whatever that means as a church, we submit ourselves to you. We ask you to work and lead us into what you want us to be what you want our ministry to do, the people that you want us to reach, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, we pray for a tremendous outpouring of your spirit to do a mighty work in our midst. Lord, change lives this morning. Renew our minds that we would walk in the transformation you've given to us. Lord, help us in this. We know now that the enemy, even right now, is already attacking. He's already got his plans on how he's going to discourage us and think that we're defeated, but we're not. You're greater than him by leaps and bounds, Lord. It's not even a contest. You've already defeated him. He's nothing compared to you. So we put our confidence in you this morning. We put our faith in you that you will do this work. Help us, Lord. Bless us. Guide us by your spirit. We pray this because of Christ.